some really important things for each of us to consider uh, about our life. But right before we get into that, I want to make sure that you understand one of the resources that's been made available for you today. Uh, I remember being that student, you know, who would have summer break, uh, being in high school or even younger and having summer break, and you would really look forward to summer break. Like all of the kids in here, have you been looking forward to summer break? Like give a cheer if you've been looking forward to summer break. Kids? Yeah, okay, good. And moms and dads, how about you? Yeah, probably... Probably even more. And so I remember looking forward to it, thinking like, like that is the reward in life. Summer break is the reward in life. You work so hard and you do school and then you get summer break. And then by the end of summer break, what was I feeling and thinking? I am so bored. I'd be like, I can't wait, you know, to learn something again. I'm so bored. I can't wait to see friends again. And there's different kinds of boredom in life. Uh, Summer boredom is one of them. I also remember being a freshman in college and thinking this is going to be the greatest thing. I'm going to learn so many important things about life. And then like the first semester, what do they stick you in? Music appreciation, right? And you're like, I'm so bored. So there's, there's a couple different kinds of boredom, but we've got a boredom buster for you today. And so this is the board that you might have received when you came in. Uh, this is part of our Summer at Home Home Point packet, and it's got this neat little spinner on it. So I'm sure I'll hear a lot of that during church today. Uh, but what you can do with this is everybody in the family can write in here something that they would be interested in doing during the summer. You can kind of set this up how you want, or maybe on a weekend. And this is dry erase uh, a bowl. And so you can write on here with your dry erase marker what everybody's idea is. And then you decide which idea you're going to do today by flicking the spinner. Uh, and then it's time for that idea. It's a neat little tool. I would also recommend you could avoid a lot of family arguments after church by just choosing ahead of time, you know, eight restaurants and just putting them on here and just flick the spinner. Everybody, you know, it's like, I didn't, it wasn't my suggestion. The board chose it, right? And so this will, this will break boredom. This will break after church arguments. It's just a great resource. Uh, but inside the packet that you should have received with this are some other tools uh, for families so that over the summer, uh, after you've had a little chance to rest and recuperate, you can start again to think about some spiritual conversations that you want to have together. And there's some great activities in this packet that you can do as a family that will be fun and that will also bring about some of those spiritual conversations that, that you want to have. So we hope that you'll enjoy those. Uh, if you know anybody that would like some of these materials, they will be after this morning in our Home Point Center, so right there in the back of the room. And any week, uh, you can come in and get one of these packets to share with a, a friend, you know, a family, coworker, or whatever. So we love making these resources available to the church. All right, uh, let's get into today's message then. If you would, bow with me for a word of prayer, and then we'll begin. Lord, we pray that today you would be powerfully present among us. Uh, as we already have heard, there's three young people who want to put Christ on in baptism this morning, and we're grateful for that. Uh, it's a wonderful thing to share in with them. We pray that you would um, bless the time that we now read from Scripture and consider it, and that you would give us wisdom and insight. And God, for everyone here who works hard and works diligently uh, during the week, who tries to provide for their family, who studies hard in school, God, we pray that you would give us an understanding of the message of rest that you have planned for us and the way that you have designed us biologically and spiritually to receive both gifts from you. 
meaningful work and wholesome rest. And God, we pray that you would help us to do that in a healthy way, that we would appreciate you in it, and that we would understand that it's you who have designed everything good for us. Lord, we love you, and we, uh, we thank you in the name of Jesus. And all who agree, say, amen. Okay, so um, the rest of the story. Last week, we had a little bit of theological grounding. We looked at the creation story, and we understood that rest is not something that God invented for the Mosaic law. The idea of Sabbath doesn't come from legalism. The idea of rest is built into creation. Uh, the seventh day God rested. He blessed the seventh day. He made it holy and he declared it as a part of the human existence and part of the human journey to have both meaningful work and wholesome rest from creation. That isn't something that got made up later. It was incorporated in the law because it was already part of the plan for humankind. And it's mentioned in the New Testament as well as the Old. It's something that, we're, that the New Testament Christians still did, uh, even though they had become New Testament Christians and they weren't under the Mosaic Law anymore, uh, because it was still God's plan for them. And so this is our key question for today, because today we're trying to get personal. And this is the question, how do you break the cycle? Okay, let's get very individual this morning. You know that rest is healthy for you. Uh, if, you, if you have read the scriptures about it, you probably believe that God means to have work and rest cycles in life. But how do you break the cycle? What do you do that's different than what you've done before so that there aren't so many nights of anxiety at two in the morning? So that there aren't so many weekends of plans that are lost because the work just didn't get done? What do you do? And we're gonna, I'm just going to warn you. <laughs> Before we read the scripture, we're reading the most depressed person in all of the Hebrew Bible. Uh, and the scripture reading that Marty did for us this morning from Ecclesiastes chapter 1, we're going to go over it here uh, since it's our sermon text in a few minutes. This guy, Solomon most likely, uh, or whoever wrote this book, was really dealing with what almost looks like the anxieties of the modern man. This book, written several thousand years ago, could have been written last week and have the same meaning and the same impact. So read with me in Ecclesiastes 1, these semi-depressed thoughts from Solomon in the Old Testament. He asks this key question. He says, what do people get for all their hard work under the sun? And by under the sun, this is a, an Old Testament way of saying in life. Just in life, in the daytime, in your life. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun. This is what he's struggling with. He has worked hard and he wants to know, what does it result in? When do I finally get to step back and enjoy it and say, like God did in, the, in the, about the first six days of creation, that was good, it 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 was very good. When do I get to feel that way about my life's work? And then here are all the examples that he uses that Marty read for us. The reasons that he sees in nature that work is ceaseless and that it doesn't ever give you rest. Look at these. He says first about people. In verse 4, generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. And what does he mean by that? 
He means that even though people are born and they die and they live in these generations, the earth is never full of them. The earth never gets completely full. The earth never gets to its finality in any real way. God had said in the beginning in the creation that we were to you know, multiply and fill the earth. And Solomon's looking at the world saying people live and people die, but the world doesn't really change. And in the next verse, he turns to some of the heavenly bodies. He says the sun also, it never finishes its work. The sun rises and the sun sets. And then, and I love this, this is what it says literally in the Hebrew, it returns panting. Solomon's picturing the sun like this dog that's been running laps around the lawn. And it comes back and it's just standing there going, I can't go anymore. But what does it have to do? Rise again. And so the sun is exhausted by its work in Solomon's mind. But you and I should be noticing already, even though we're not very far into this text, that Solomon is viewing these things in nature with a real cynical eye, isn't he? He's broken in this moment. He's experiencing some depression in this moment. This isn't actually true about creation. God does not look at the generations and say that they're meaningless and God doesn't look at the sun, the sun that is in perfect obedience to God. You know, actually, you know, of course, it's not rising and setting, it's spinning and, and we're going around it. But Solomon didn't know all that either, right? But what it does every day is exactly what God called it to do. And so God looks at the sun and he had already said in creation, it is good. What it does is good. And Solomon says it's like a panting dog that never catches up with its work. This guy's broken. Verse 6, the wind blows south and then it turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. And some of you have probably felt like this at the office, haven't you? The paperwork comes in. The paperwork goes out. The paperwork comes in needing a correction. The paperwork goes out having been corrected. The paperwork comes in needing a new cover sheet because policy changed between Friday and Monday. The, the paperwork goes out with a new cover sheet. It, it comes in and it goes out. But what really changes? Work so often seems to go in circles. Rivers. Boy, this guy's just ruining everything in creation. For Nobody wants to go outside and sit in the park today, do they? Well, maybe you will by the time it's done. He says rivers too. Futile. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. In other words, it's never content. And then the water returns again to the rivers and it flows out again to the sea. He looks at the water cycle that we know brings life to the land. It brings produce. It grows the crops. It refreshes us to have periods of rain and periods of sunshine. And he looks at that and he just says, it's work that can never be finished. It's uncompleted. And then this, everything to Solomon, everything is wearisome beyond description. The eye is not satisfied with seeing nor the ear filled with hearing. And I switched right there in the middle of the verse over to the ESV because I think it reads so much better poetically. But he says, you never see enough that your mind says, I've seen it all, I'm done. You never hear enough that your ears are content. Instead, the eyes and the ears work is never done. And to Solomon, this is a burden. He concludes in this way. Now, he's not done, but he concludes the section in this way. He says, we don't remember what happened in the past. And in the future generations, and this really bugs Solomon, no one will remember what we're doing now. In other words, if Solomon was standing next to me this morning, he would say, why are you preaching again to these people? 
Why do this every week? Why do you come to church? Why do you do all this? Because no one will remember what you did in future generations. And guess what? He's mostly right. He is mostly right, but he's very, very broken in his approach. And the answers for Solomon are gonna be some of the same answers that help you and I. So here is his accusation. I want this well grounded in your mind that this is not the biblical truth, but this is Solomon's accusation that work is ceaseless repetition. He says work is just, it's never fulfilled. It never, once it is your master, it won't ever let go. And those of you who have had the calls that go all Saturday long and then into Sunday night, know this feeling. Those of you that wake up in the middle of the night, know this feeling that work, there are just times in life when it seems like work is ceaseless repetition. And so Solomon, we could sum up in these verses like this, that the way he views the world, what has become his worldview, his MO, is that generations and the sun and the wind and the water cycle, even seeing and hearing, none are ever completed. And it really, really bugs him that he can't put the finished tag on it and ship it off and say it is finished. Because when people feel like things aren't finished, it really it gets them, it has its hooks in them, and they want to see completion. Solomon is having a little freak out here that none of his work is completed and that none of the world is ever completed. You could put it in these same words or put these words in a different way, that work to Solomon is like a broken record. How many of you used to have a, a real record player in the house? No, better. How many of you still have a real record player somewhere in your house? Hands up high and proud. About, yeah, oh, more than a dozen of you? Maybe 20? I'm proud. When I was a kid, we would get these records, and we had a real record player with a real needle that you would replace, and they were mostly kids' stories and songs and Disney sing-alongs and all of that. And what happens to a record when it breaks? When you get a scratch on the record, and so you, you know that the way a record is supposed to work is that the needle gets to the end and it's completed. And then when you're ready to start again after a break, you pick the needle up, you move it to the front, and you start its course over again. But when the record isn't functioning properly, when it's been scratched, what does it do? It repeats over and over and over until mom is screaming from the back room, kids, turn it off! And, and it's broken. It can't do its work right anymore because all, all it does is this cyclical repetition of the same lines and there's no resolution. Solomon didn't know records, but if he did, I bet this is the idiom he would have used. Work is a broken record. It's so unfulfilling. And I've got two questions for you before Scripture helps us resolve this dilemma, this, this perspective on life that sometimes, unfortunately, you and I buy into. Sometimes you and I start to hear life as if it is a scratched record, that it just repeats over and over. Feed the kids, bathe the kids, put the kids to bed, wake the kids up, feed the kids, bathe the kids, put the kids to bed. And sometimes it starts to feel like a scratched record, right? Get in the car, drive the commute, do the work, drive the commute, get out of the car, feed the kids, bathe the kids, put the kids to bed. 
doesn't life feel that way sometimes? So here's the first question for you because we want to break out of the cycle a little bit. And this is the question, and this is dangerous, right? Because this is what causes people to retire and stuff. So what would change if it did not get completed? And I'm serious. I want you to write this in your bulletin and fill in these blanks. I want you to ask yourself this question when you leave the office Friday this week and there's work hanging over your head. And I want you to ask yourself this, not from the perspective of a lazy person, This isn't to encourage idleness, but if you know that you've put in the hours and you've worked hard in the week, you need to ask yourself this question. What would change, and maybe it would help you to put in this word, eternally. What would be an eternal difference and eternal change if it didn't get completed today? Because the lie of our culture, and I've heard one of my friends put this so well uh, in the class that he recently taught about 24-6. He said the lie in our culture is that it really makes a difference if it doesn't get done. But the truth is, is that if I, if I do it and I don't get things done at home with my family or I don't rest with my family, there's other eternal things that are more important that need to be done than this work that someone will do sometime. There will always be another sale. There will always be another product to market. You think that I'll be fulfilled by making this one final contract before the weekend is out. But the truth is, is that next week it comes roaring back like an angry lion. It's never satiated. It always wants to eat more and more. And so you have to ask this question. And if you fail to ask this question, work will own you. What would change if it didn't get completed now? What would change for eternity? And the second question is this, equally important, and write this down as well. What choices do I make Monday to Friday? What decisions am I making that rob my time from Saturday and Sunday? What choices do I make Monday through Friday that rob my time Saturday to Sunday? And let's illustrate this for a moment. Because I want this to be clear in your minds. What are we talking about? I heard a really good example from a working professional mother of two who's in the corporate workplace while we were recently doing a class on work and rest. And this was the comment uh, from this lady who, who does mothering. She does work professionally. And so she's got a very busy schedule. And it would be easy to just wear the badge of honor and say, I'm a busy, hardworking person like, like most of us are. But this is the comment that was made is that sometimes uh, there are moments in the work week whenever we want to be a compassionate or a good team player to somebody who's in our work environment. And so we hear all of the time things like this, like, you know, we want people to see our faith at work, and that's so true. But sometimes our compassion or giving them an hour to go on and on about the things that are going on in their life and their home when it happens week in and week out and there's no resolution actually robs her of a lot of time on the weekend because guess what happens after you spend an hour listening to the other person's story? You have work that didn't get done. And guess who expects the work to get done? Your employer who pays you to be at work doing work. And so it seems like such a a good decision to spend time talking with coworkers and being compassionate, and yet she's come to the realization that when I spend an hour listening to a coworker and it's something that doesn't get resolved, I lose an hour with my kids. 
And she's made the decision that I'm going to make the choice not to allow my children to be robbed of time with me because of what I do at work. So, still wanting to be compassionate and still wanting to be a good team member, she's decided, I will listen, I'll be compassionate, but there's going to be a point where I say, I have work to do, and it's work hours, and I need to get it done, because in my mind, what I'm protecting is the weekend. In my mind, what I know is that on Friday when I go home, I want my work to be completed in a way that I'm proud of and that I can spend time without guilt with my children. Isn't that wise? Church, you guys don't even know who this is, but can you just say a big amen if you believe that's a wise decision for a working mom to make? Amen. It's beautiful. Okay, so as you consider these questions, let's go back and finish now uh, with our very depressed Solomon, and how he learns to answer some of those questions that we were just considering uh, as he looks further into work and rest. Hebrew poetry has this beautiful way uh, that's called resumptive, expansive literature. And so they will put a theme out. And in the first chapter, Solomon had dropped this theme on you that he's really upset about, which is that it seems like work is never done. But in chapter 2 and then in 3, he comes back to it two more times. And each time he expands on what he had learned from previous. And so this is a literary feature of Hebrew poetry. Uh, and when you, if you just read chapter 1, you would think that was all Solomon had to say about work. But when you read chapter 2, you find uh, words like this. He resumes it by asking almost the same question. So what do people get? just like he did in chapter one. What do people get in this life under the sun for all their hard work? But this time he's added a word, and anxiety. What do they get for all their hard work and anxiety? Because now that he's been considering it, he's experiencing all of this anxiety, and the modern person does too. And so he wants to know, what do you get for all this hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief, so, you know, he's like, you work hard all day, your body's sore, your mind is sore, but even at night, their minds cannot rest. I'm telling you, it's almost like Solomon is a modern man. How many of you have laid awake at night, wanting so badly to sleep, and there's a song playing in your head? And you're thinking, I don't even listen to this kind of music. Where did I even hear this song? And you realize that in your worn out, exhausted, after work state, you had gone through the grocery store or something and there was a song randomly playing in the background and now it's nighttime and you only want to sleep and this song is just playing in your head over and over and over and it doesn't even seem like music to you. It seems like just noise in your brain because you can't shut it off and you can't make it stop. And Solomon says that this is what it's like. Anxious, anxiety in the middle of the night when you can't turn it off. It's not like a beautiful song. It's like noise, and you can't make any sense out of it. It's all meaningless, he says, and this is the truth that he's about to uncover, but he hasn't quite gotten to yet, but he's realizing it as he gets into this anxiety stage of the passage that work is not actually a broken record. It isn't work that has the scratch on the surface. It's repetitive by design, but your mind is the broken record that has been scratched by the abuse of work and rest, and you and your mind are the one going over and over and over it in circles. God actually designed the sun to rise and set and have a break in between. Your mind was designed to work and rest and have a break in between. But we've been so damaged by the culture around us that our minds are on an endless loop. I told you that uh, I was pretty bored when I got to music appreciation as a freshman. 
I thought it was a waste of my time. I remember sitting down in the class, and the professor who I, had, you know, I didn't know, this is the first semester, uh, asked this question, what is music? What is music? And I'm like, what an inane question, right? Like, very, I, I was very humble at that time in life, right? I was like, <laughs> I was like what a dumb question. You know, like, what is music? And so, you know, like half the other freshmen in the room, hands up, you know, like, okay, what is it? Uh, it's sound, you know, fa- wrong, false, wrong answer. Somebody else is like, okay, so it's noise. No, wrong answer. Somebody else is like, okay, okay, I get this. It's sound waves, right? And the professor's like, no, that's not the answer. What is music? Music, according to this professor, and this, even though this class, I was like so bored out of my mind at first, this probably changed my life in more ways than I even know. Music is sounds and silence arranged in time. And you hear the professor say that for the first time, and you go, no, it's not. It's just sounds. But then he says, try taking all of the silence out of a song and pushing all of the notes together and listen to it and see whether it sounds like music or noise. If you take all the pauses out, what happens to the beautiful orchestral arrangement? What happens to the pop song with its catchy hook? It no longer works to grab your attention. And this... Guys, this is true about so many forms of art, and I've only just started to realize it as I get further into life. One time I took a one-day layout class to lay out bulletins and brochures and signs for the church. I went and took this class, and this was the first rule they taught us. It is less about what you put on the paper than what you don't. White space is the key to good design, keeping it simple for the eye so it doesn't have to overwork. Guess what? It's true in photography as well. If everything is in focus or everything is out of focus, the eye works so hard trying to resolve it. But when you have the object in focus and everything else is kind of nicely blurred, the eye doesn't have to work so hard. There is a part of the painting or the picture or whatever it is that is good work and part of it that is rest for the eye and it can see clearly what it was meant to see. And Solomon is starting to realize that it's the mind that is scratched and that just like a good song, we need to put the space back into it. And so this was his conclusion. He said, so I decided after realizing my mind would be awake at night, that there's nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and find satisfaction in work. And he's one step closer. He's not all the way there, but he's one step closer, he says, to find satisfaction in it because he's learning this, that no one else will release you from the feudal cycles. The manager, the boss, the executive, the pastor, the preacher, none of them will release you from all of the things that they don't even know are scratching the record of your mind. You're going to have to make a choice to ask those two questions we asked earlier. What difference would this make? And what am I losing on the weekend and sacrificing it in the middle of the week? You'll have to do it. And even though no one else can do it for you, many will help and the church wants to help. The, the, the pastors, the elders of the church, the shepherds of your souls, those 11 men that serve us in that way, they want to help you with this. And the ministers do as well. That's why, and I feel like I want to mention it again at this point, this is why our elders set up a relationship with Four Rivers Counseling Center, with some trusted professional counselors, the kind of professional counseling that you can't get from me because that's not what I do to help with a really good rate to make it easy for you to be able to go and have somebody who will walk with you through asking the questions, how do I let some of this burden down? 
And if you feel uncomfortable about this, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Jenna and I do this because our minds get so full of crazy, we can't even see the music in life anymore. And maybe this is a way that we can help you. As we, as we finish, these are Solomon's words, and then I've got an assignment for you, and then we're gonna have our invitation and, and be done. But these are Solomon's words as he's starting to realize that I have to make a choice to trust God in the blessings he's given and enjoy them in order to be restored on a weekly basis. He wrote, then I realized that these pleasures are from the hand of God, that these gifts of, of, of drink and of food and of rest on the weekend are a gift from God. And you guys, even though I don't have time to read this whole passage with you this morning, this is your assignment. One of the most famous scriptures that you've heard and you probably love occurs in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. And it says there's a time for everything. Can I get an amen, church? Amen. There is a time for everything, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to reap. And then after dealing with this and understanding that you have to work and you have to rest in order to restore the music of life, Solomon will say in verse 11 that God has made everything beautiful in its time, in its time, and outside of its time, it's a wreck. Outside of its appropriate season, it's noise because you've sucked the life out of it and the white space out of it and the rest out of it. And so he begins a new journey of trusting God's blessings of food and rest. And in that, by the end of the book, he recognizes that the duty of man is to fear God and obey his commandments. Because when we refuse to obey God in this, we find ourselves scratched and on an endless repeat that no one wants to continue. Church, if we can help you today to get out of that cycle, if anyone else wants to join these three who are gonna be baptized this morning, we ask you, come on down, meet our shepherds at the front and share what we can do for you. A couple shepherds will also be in the back if you'd like to meet privately. We would love to bless you. Come forward as we stand and sing this song of invitation.